You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our broadcast begins with a highlight from our Catholic Conference Hour program. Host Bob Gilligan, Executive Director of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, took some time to speak with Jennifer Walling, Executive Director of the Illinois Environmental Council. Here is a highlight of that conversation. Jen, are you with us? I am. Hey, Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for uh, getting up uh, kind of early this morning on this cold morning. It's freezing out there. I can't believe I was driving in this morning thinking, geez, a month ago it was such such a nice year. <laughs> but hey, that's the subject of our of our conversation here, the climate, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you, uh, your organization, I know, is one of the uh, larger, uh, more active uh, entities out there talking about the Clean Energy Jobs Act. And um, I've read this, well, I've read aspects of it many times. I've read descriptions of it. You know, what we wanted to do this morning is, I think, provide the opportunity for you to to educate uh, uh, the listeners that we have on on what's going on in Illinois with regard to this topic of uh, how do we preserve our environment, uh, be good stewards of our resources. And and I think specifically sort of just broadly, what, what is the Clean Energy Jobs Act? I, I would try to cue it, tee it up, but it, but I don't even know where to start. So why don't you sure. take a shot at that? Yeah, I mean, um, we're really excited to work on the problem of climate change and, you know, tying it to things your listeners are interested in. Um, you know, the Pope's second encyclical, Laudato Si', sure. really covered um, his thoughts on how we care for creation and environmental degradation and, and um, the, the sins that relate in climate change. And um, I think this is a, a really important topic to our whole world. Um, and so we want to address it as quickly as possible. But on the other hand, I know tying it, your next speaker is on refugees. We want to do it in a way that um, doesn't leave us with more poor people, with um, people who can't afford their energy bills, um, we want a better quality of life for for people, um, and so and and you know climate. Um, there's so much that it's caused in terms of uh, world catastrophe issues that have caused refugees. So mm. how do we address this really mm-hmm. big problem? Um, and so our solution has been putting forward the Clean Energy Jobs Act, mm-hmm. um, and it's a bill in Springfield um, that has four pillars. One is 100% renewable energy by 2050. One is a carbon-free power sector by 2030, then electrification of the transportation sector, and finally rooted on jobs and equity, uh, making sure that the jobs and job benefits um, really go to the communities that need it the most. So that's what our bill is being put forward. Um, And there's a lot of energy, no pun intended, around solving this and, and doing something in Illinois. I know Governor Pritzker came out, mm, I think it was in August sometime, and he put out some principles uh, about what the, should be in the bill. And is is that where we're going with this thing in general? Or what's the, what's I know, because the governor could only set out some, some principles. He doesn't draft the bills, the legislature does. Mm-hmm. 
What, is, yeah, is yes. that where we're at now? Um, well, I think there, yes, yes. I think the governor has been um, one of the biggest supporters of doing something on this issue and, and in the way that we'd like right. with 100% clean energy. Um, and so uh, I think his principles are very much aligned with what we want to do. There are some disagreements. And so having a lot of people in the room figuring out um, how do we solve this issue, how do we do it in a way that um, protects the environment, helps us solve the climate crisis, but also keeps rates low for consumers is a huge challenge, but it's not one that I don't think we can accomplish. Going to 100% renewables by 2050 is a pretty lofty goal, um, and I think in order to do that, you you have to make a transition from fossil fuels that we rely on today to mm-hmm. uh, clean fuels, clean sources such as wind and solar, and 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 I guess other. Um, how do you mm-hmm. how does how do you propose to 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 do that? Because that's quite a that's quite a challenge. Sure. So, I mean, I would have said. Just even a few years ago that, like, oh, I was working on 100% clean energy, like, I would have been a little skeptical of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been working on these issues just, like, a number of years. Um, just to even tie it back, I went to Bennett Academy in, in the suburbs and um, headed the environmental group there. And if you told me this is what I would be doing 20 years later and <laughs> working on 100% renewable energy, I'd be like, that is a little nuts. Um See, but dreams come true. <laughs> dreams come true. Um, I'm here doing this. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it is incredibly achievable. I think that we are there in terms of technology, um, the storage and battery power are growing every day. The energy system has changed a lot. I mean, we used to talk about the need for constant baseload power, but we have a lot of new technology that allows us to adapt to changes in the energy usage that's going out there. But also don't forget, you know, in Illinois, we are seeing a ton of coal plant closures and not because of renewables, because natural gas is so cheap. So last year, a quarter of Illinois' coal capacity closed, and they did it in such a way that they gave 30 or 60 days notice to those workers who were out of a job at Christmas. Um, And so I think that better planning for those communities is our responsibility um, to make sure that there's jobs and the benefits that they need. Um, But I think technologically we are there and in Illinois, we have a lot of nuclear power and our plan does anticipate nuclear power eventually going offline. Um, But, you know, we've, we've got all of the tools we need to get there. And uh, there are a number of other states that have passed that as a goal as well. Um, It's, entirely achievable. I think you, you mentioned a, a key point, which is the impact that uh, closure of a coal plant can have on a community and what is our societal obligation to try mm-hmm. to uh, cushion that blow a little bit. I think the other part of the Clean Energy Jobs Act that I, I saw was there's also some respect for disadvantaged communities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are two of the sort of the main a big component of, of what you're trying to do. Um, talk a little bit about the disadvantaged communities portion of, of the of the bill. Yeah, absolutely. I think in 2016, we worked and governed around our signs, the um, Future Energy Jobs sure. Act. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, we did create some job training programs. And there is a, an, a special um, carve out, particularly for returning citizens from prison, 
but also foster care alumni. Um, so there's an obligation under that law to recruit those type of folks with employment barriers to the clean energy industry. Um, and those programs are they're being very successful, but of course we're seeing a lot of a lot of job losses right now mm-hmm. um, yeah. with respect to the, the pandemic. Um, but we've learned a lot from that, and the Clean Energy Jobs Act really works on uh, those job training programs for disadvantaged communities. Um, one of the things it works on that we've learned is, you know, when you're working with people with employment barriers, you may need further wraparound services. You may need childcare. You may, may need access to transportation, boots, um, all of that sort of stuff that might prevent you from getting a job. And so um, we have a number of those things that help train folks to get to work and uh, access the, the community, but also programs like Illinois Solar for All that mm-hmm. actually install solar power on low-income people's homes so they can access the benefits as well. So we really do think a lot about disadvantaged communities mm-hmm. and how we can make sure that those benefits are accessible to them as well. Kind of going back to the renewable energy portion of the bill, the goal being that by 2050 it would be we would be 100% renewable. I think your plan mm-hmm. calls for 40 million solar panels to be installed and 2,500 mm-hmm. wind turbines. I guess my, my question to you is like, tell me what um, – God willing, I live to t- <laughs> around twenty fifty. Uh, what 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 will what will our what will my world look like? What will my house look like? Will my will I be driving a car the way I am today? Um, what what will be different about my world? Well, I think that um, there's there's a number of things. I mean, hopefully, solar panels will be way more prevalent, and mm-hmm. um, you'll be able to put one on your house or access one that's somewhere else. Um, the other thing that, that is not, you know, you didn't mention there, um, a lot of the benefits of clean energy come from efficiency. Um, 80% right. of jobs that are in clean energy are in energy efficiency and saving energy. Um, and so I think people think about renewable energy or energy efficiency and they think like, like oh, no, like I'm going to have to, you know, really bundle up in my own house. I'm going to be uncomfortable the lights are going to be a color I don't want. Like people think of of that being their world, but in actuality, um, this new technology can really increase people's comfort levels. So, you know, our our goal here is not to um, take away your iPhone or even in some instances take away your car. It's just to make it cleaner. Um, and so, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more like electric vehicles um, by 2050. A lot more. I mean, you should anticipate that that's something that you'll be driving in your lifetime will be a car that um, that charges from electricity instead of gasoline um, because of where that technology is going. And, uh, you know, there's just, I think, bipartisan excitement around some of the electric mm-hmm. vehicles because it is domestic energy that we're using instead of getting a fuel source from somewhere else. And that uh, domestic energy is getting cleaner and cleaner all the time. Yeah, well, and by the way, if you can do anything about that, too, by 2050, I also need the self-driving car because by that point in time. <laughs> I want that, too. Yeah, right. I want to be able to uh, that's you know, text me. and let somebody drive me. You yeah, know? That, that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that one. Later in that same program, Bob talked to Chris Ross, a lawyer who works on social policy for Catholic Charities USA. Let's listen in talk now about a very important topic that doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. Uh, we have on the line with us Chris Ross. Chris is uh, he's an attorney, and he works um, on the social policy team 
at CCUSA, and he's with us to here with us to talk about uh, the refugee issue and why we are of such a cap on the number of refugees we're, we are admitting into the country. Chris, are you with us? Yes, thanks hey, for having me. Hey, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on this morning. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, sure. This has been a topic that I've watched, uh, you know, years ago. Um, I've been in this job <laughs> a long time now. And a long, long time ago, I was on the um, migration uh, committee. I was a consultant or something like that. And when uh, at the on the USCCB committee, and we used to watch these numbers. Uh, that committee does watch the numbers of refugees that uh, the U.S. government is allowing to come into the country. And when I was on it, I think it was like 80,000, 90,000. Uh, this is in the George, George W. Bush years. And, uh, you know, I think we're down like 15,000 now, uh, something like that. So um, I think there was an issue recently with the number declining again. So it looks like the United States government is accepting less and less refugees into the country. And um, I, I think maybe before we go into reasons why, we should probably just explain to people what this program does for people and, and why somebody would become a refugee to the United States of America. Sure. Uh, you're right in your assessment. Uh, uh, historically, uh, it's around 95,000 uh, uh, of what uh, the United States usually uh, sets in the presidential determination. Uh, we have had historic numbers during the current administration for each of their years, um, and so um, that's ongoing. Um, you mentioned 15,000. That number isn't official yet. Uh, we are uh, concerned about that, and it was supposed to happen October 1st. Um, the administration hasn't met with Congress to discuss this year's presidential determination, and USCCB is pushing for an action alert. I'd be remiss if I don't uh, mention that for your listeners. To, you know, if they're interested in this issue, to please contact your congressional reps and the White House. Yeah, to, that's a good point. You know, make sure that they they um, you know actually do finalize the number, even if it is historically low. It does need to be set for refugees to to uh, continue entering in the United States. So, and, and you know what? Um, I'll, I'll probably but but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, no. So uh, uh, start with the numbers there, and then I'm I'm happy to kind of explain what a refugee is. Yeah, um, I, I want to um, do that because you know what I'm going to do is actually in the next segment we're going to talk to a director at Catholic Charities in Rockford, and he runs a refugee program. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask him. But and I've correct. seen some of these people that come in. Why don't you describe a little bit about who comes to the United States and why? And how? Sure. It's not easy. Sure, yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll start uh, with the law, uh, the Immigration Nationality Act, uh, the INA. Uh, the definition for a refugee is an alien who generally has experienced past persecution or has a well-founded fear of persecution on the, account, on the account of their race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion. And so um, uh, it's easy to uh, kind of... Miss that for for Americans. Uh, it's it's not in our face compared to uh, elsewhere around the world. But um, there is a lot of suffering going ar uh, around in the world. Uh, according to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, there were 19.6 million refugees worldwide in 2017. Um, for your listeners, if you just think back just a few short years ago, uh, frequently on our uh, news media we saw images of the Syrian war. Right. Um, Right. Uh, those, those people went somewhere. Uh, yeah. and, and that's uh, kind of the, the key fact I'd like to kind of emphasize that uh, when there is strife in the world, you mm. will see people uh, flee to refugee camps or uh, neighboring countries because they truly have nowhere else to go. There is no home as they know it. 
Um, so I mentioned 2017 data. Uh, in those images, 6.3 million Syrians uh, were displaced during that conflict, uh, according to the UN data. So um, that is how uh, refugees uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, occur in our in our world, um, and so. Uh, it's concerning. It continues to grow. The, the number of refugees around the world uh, is, uh, is growing uh, uh, because of um, uh, persecution in different countries and, and uh, political strife around the world. And so um, when I say where they go afterwards, uh, you, you hope that they find safe havens and uh, uh, a country like the United States uh, with, with uh, all the blessings we have in this country uh, we do accept refugees uh, as a safe haven. Um, we've done so more in the past uh, uh, than the past few years, but uh, we, we do, um, you know, uh, yeah. welcome refugees. And, and the vetting process is pretty extensive. I know that as well. It's not like you can just sort of show up and, and we, we take you. Uh, this is the process they go to. They go through. It, it is not easy uh, to, to, to come into the United States as a refugee. And uh, I think the program is pretty solid that way. What, what you know, what do you think um, uh, accounts for the number, the decline in the numbers? I, I, a lot of this has happened during the Trump administration, and but it was happening before that too, wasn't it? Well, um, I, I'd certainly say uh, uh, the previous administration. Um, um, just for comparison's sake, uh, the last presidential determination with the, with that administration was 110,000 refugees. Uh, for that fiscal year in 2017, mm-hmm. um, uh, the uh, past two it's been historically low uh, down you know uh, uh, below 50,000 for the for mm-hmm. the past uh, uh, four years. So mm-hmm. yeah. I mean it's significant. And um, again, for uh, our perspective in the world, being the United States, um, you know, we used to kind of lead uh, the charge on refugee resettlement. Uh, our country alone, uh, the number of refugees that we took in uh, was was larger than the entire rest of the, the world combined. Really? So we were the leaders. Um, but in 2017, again, in this uh, current administration, for the first time in modern history, uh, we did settle fewer refugees in the rest of the world. So we kind of we, we lost that title. Mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. is is unfortunate um, um, uh, because of again the blessings that we have in the United States. Um, it's it's sad to see, and also I think from a policy perspective, the message that that sends for the rest of the world that um, if this isn't a uh, priority for a country like the United States, what does that say to uh, other countries who uh, may have less resources than than even yeah. us, yeah. and and have to. Um, uh, uh, attempt to welcome refugees into their borders. It's a difficult question in terms of who, yeah, um, what countries take in who and what each country's responsibility should. But but I think you have a good point in that um, we've been a leader in this area, and 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 you know I, I I think our country benefits from taking in refugees. These these are people that really want to be here. They've they've fled a very difficult situation. Um, and and they are by and large contributing greatly to the to the culture and and there's some really great stories I've seen them myself. Uh, it, it really is kind of uplifting when you see what some of these people have gone through and, and how proud they are to be an American. I think that's the thing that strikes you is that you know we take so many things for granted here and then we see somebody that's offered 
uh, what we sort of take for granted. Just the reaction that they have is is it's 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 really it's it's fascinating, and for, and they're from all over the globe. I mean, uh, you know, from all over the world. So it is it is a comforting thing, and and uh, we'll see about maybe what will happen in the future in terms of uh, our ability to take in more of them. Where do you see this issue going? We got about another uh, minute or two. Where do you see this going? Well, uh, like everything, we do um, uh, have an election November 3rd in case uh, people ha- haven't uh, been watching any TV or anything, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that will have an effect. Uh, immigration was uh, a major issue for this administration, um, and uh, it, it continues um, uh, as, as an issue for, for something they focus on and, and um, you know, that will have consequences. I'd say immediately for where this is going, I mentioned at the top of our, our talk uh USCCB, um, you know, kind of advocating that this year's presidential determination does continue. Um, that I would say, if, if your listeners are very interested in this issue, to get involved in that because it it's been a few weeks now that we haven't had action, and and that is going to have significant consequences uh, uh, in the immediate future. Uh, that we need to correct that. Time now to shift gears. This week on Catholic Chicago, Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi took time to chat with Father Michael Bradley. With the Chicago Marathon canceled this year because of COVID-19, Father Mike ran a marathon of his own on Sunday, October 11th, through the streets of Edgewater, where he lives at St. Gertrude Parish. Here is a highlight of that conversation. Mike, I can't believe this was your 49th marathon. If you just back up, um, what got you into running, or who got you into running? Well, I was never much of a, a, a runner, but uh, in the 1990s, actually it was 1995, I was a student at the American College in Louvain, Belgium. And uh, it was a Thursday afternoon, I remember it. Mm. Uh, another uh, priest who was living there and a couple of seminarians uh, uh, came up and asked me and said, hey, why don't we go down to Paris this weekend and run the Paris Marathon? <laughs> And I had no training. I don't think they had much either, but they were pretty good athletes. And I just said, well, let's give it a try. I had had not the, the proper running gear or shoes or anything. I ran in a pair of old Keds shoes and uh, <laughs> finished the marathon and kind of got the bug. And I've been doing, on, on average, two every year since then. So back up here, Mike. You're telling me in 1995 which would have been, okay, 25 years ago, so you're in your low, low mid-40s, is with no training, no proper gear, you go down and you've completed a marathon. Well, it helps wow. to go slow. What was your time, by the way? <laughs> you remember, remember the time for the first one? Uh, I, I think it was four hours and uh, 35 minutes. Wait, wow. well, your first marathon with no training in four and a half hours? Yes, I, I don't know how. I, I have amazing. no idea. That is amazing. No, but you've pretty much been in shape your whole life. I mean, shape, not a runner shape, but just the idea of you've always been kind of balanced in terms of I, I have health. done, I, I did some, used to do short runs at, at the Mundelein Seminary. Uh, as you know, the, the, the around run the lake. around the lake is about three miles, so it's a, a, a nice distance, and uh, used to enjoy that. Now, you still run. Is running part of your routine, your health routine now? Or Yeah, I do, I do try to run uh, about three times a week now. Wow. 
ending, and so you do the training now. But and I remember you, Mike. You never were one for playing football or basketball or softball that no. much. But you no. were just. But you were always, you know, very coordinated, in shape, and just, you know, you were. But back in college, you never ran during college days. No, at all. Now, how did how did this forty ninth happen? Was it your idea? Did someone come to you? And also tagging on the wonderful mission that you had in terms of supporting, I always forget, is it Heart to Heart? or Heart to Heart. Yeah. It's a parish ministry uh, in the Edgewater community serving the, the senior citizens. Of, Tell us of, about uh, Heart to Heart. Yeah, they, it, it, it's an outreach uh, for um, senior citizens. We have many senior citizens in our population in Edgewater of different religions and, and no religion at all. And uh, Heart to Heart provides uh, assistance with uh, grocery shopping. Uh, there's well-being, phone calls, uh, transportation to medical appointments. Uh, Jane Callahan Moore is the director of, of the Heart to Heart program. And uh, usually there's uh, three fundraisers uh, over the course of, of the year. And, of course, none of those have been uh, possible because of the pandemic. So uh, after the Chicago Marathon was canceled, which was not a surprise, they, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they gave it a good try and realized that they, they couldn't provide for the, the safety of, of the spectators and the runners. And so when it was canceled, it was disappointing. Uh, and I just one day decided, uh, I think it was in late July, early August, maybe, that uh, why don't I do one in the neighborhood? I was running in the neighborhood uh, quite a bit, and uh, uh, you know, so why not try to do 26.2 miles in the Edgewater neighborhood? So uh, the pastoral associate of, of uh, St. Gertrude, her name is Kevin Cheers, and I looked at the map. Uh, plotted out a 6.5-mile uh, way, a route through the uh, through the neighborhood, going to the different streets and going east, a little bit west, north and south, uh, but also trying to stay close to the parish and making that the uh, uh, the the, the uh, steps of the church to be the the uh, location where I could run into a number of parishioners, and uh, it it really took off. Uh, people uh, uh, had signs made. Uh, <laughs> th there was uh, just great support for the effort. You know, I think people really needed something positive mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. because it's been been such a discouraging time. And the senior citizens, I'd say in in particular, have felt somewhat isolated uh, uh, and uh, cut off even from family members' visits. So uh, providing them with some outreach uh, has been all the more important. Now, Mike, how much did you raise this year? Uh, thus far, and we still got some coming in, but it's uh, about twenty-two thousand five hundred dollars. Now, where can people contribute? You're still—that's still open. It's an open fund for people yes. to contribute. You want yes, to give people an idea of how they can do that? Yes, we're, we're at uh, www.stgertrudechicago.org. One more time with that, Mike. Yeah, that's www.stgertrudechicago.org. And then they would make the check out to Heart to Heart or to St. Gertrude? To St. Gertrude. Or to Father Mike Bradley. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I have to, to say uh, to your listening audience how generous 
and supportive. Father Greg and and Mark and uh, Mark's family have been to me in support of these runs over the years. You know, in this day and age, it's it, it you know you just don't like to you know make an appeal to people to contribute to it, to any cause. There are so many needs right now. But I, I, I want to thank you, Father Greg and Mark, for your, your great support over well, many I think, years. I think, Mike, you know, it, uh, it's such a great cause. Yeah. We go back almost 50 years, and uh, you've been a tremendous priest. It's my way of saying thank you for and all you're doing. As you prepared for this marathon, one of the things that Mary and I noticed was anywhere we turned on the dial, there, there was a little feature story of Father, yes. Father Mike Bradley. Uh, and I, all I felt was pride. I thought, not only for you, but... For the Presbyterate in Chicago, here's a good news story. Yes, I, I felt very blessed uh, to have that uh, uh, the information about the, the marathon uh, broadcast. Uh, it was extraordinary, uh, and uh, I, I think it really uh, was a point of pride for, for the parishioners. And um, uh, I must say, it, it was offer, it was, gave me great courage, a lot more, a lot of encouragement. Is, is it normally every year for the marathon for you, Mike, you pick up this type of publicity ahead of time? They want to all... No, no. I, I think that the networks, uh, because of the, the fact that there was no Chicago Marathon this year, they were looking for stories. Uh, there were a number of uh, articles and, and broadcasts about individuals who were running uh, uh, their own marathons, uh, running the, the regular course on their own. So I think uh, there was a need for for uh, some human interest. Was it Sister Alicia who ran the marathon on a treadmill from? Uh, she did, and she Lady, set the the. Lady she's going to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for, at Our Lady of the Angels. Sister she, Stephanie. Sister Stephanie. Hey, Sister Stephanie. Uh, Beliga. Uh, she is uh, extraordinary. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I was co-instructor for a class she took up at Lundeline. Seminary, University of St. Mary of the Lake, and she's a true inspiration. Uh, she could run a couple of marathons by the time it, it, I, I finish one. Huh. So uh, the, no, uh, the OLA she, community the, are very world? supportive. Now, it's interesting because uh, as you did your run, I would imagine there were some highlights for you. Any particular highlights that stood out for you as you um, ran? Yes, Mark. Uh, for uh, for the very beginning, well, I started at 6 a.m., so it was still dark out, and I was uh, planning to step off from the, the steps of, of church. And uh, when I got there, got ready to, to get going, uh, there was a crowd of parishioners there. Oh, wonderful. At uh, 6 o'clock in the morning. To, to bless me, to pray for me, and uh, wish me well. It, it was very inspiring. And uh, as I ran off into the into the darkness, I, I, I just felt they were with me uh, all the way. And uh, there were parishioners, um, even at that early hour, uh, in one of the first streets I turned onto, uh, there were parents uh, with their kids in their pajamas <laughs> out on the front steps of their houses and with signs and uh, cowbells and cheering me on. It was really uh, amazing. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know how they got the kids out. I hope the neighbors didn't mind uh, the, uh, <laughs> the noise, but uh, it, it was just that kind of support all the way through. That would be very inspiring uh, to you as a runner. There were three stations where I could uh, get Gatorade and uh, uh, some snacks and things, and uh, uh, some of the uh, 
the people staffing the those tables were senior citizens who are, are helped by uh, uh, Heart to Heart. Uh, that was a, a, a really uh, great uh, blessing. It was such a beautiful day, perfect for running, mm-hmm. perfect was for a great being marathon a spectator. Day Sunday, the uh, I, I think it was fun for people. Uh, oh, yeah. And one of the things that happened, um, I was about mile 25 and a half, so I'd gone, I, I just had a, less than a mile to go, and I could even see the finish line and, and saw there were people waiting there. And all of a sudden, I, I got a terrible cramp oh, in my no. leg, uh, and uh, I, I thought, oh, Lord, please, don't <laughs> fail me now. You know, I, I need some help. And I was right near the home of uh, parishioners, uh, and uh, they ran up and, and got me uh, a, a, a leg compress, oh, yeah. an ice pack, uh, and uh, I wrapped that around my leg. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, the, the compress, they gave me the shape like a heart. Oh, uh, nice. And uh, the right ice uh, really helped, and, and I got, was able to get to the finish line. Now, let me ask you this, Mike, and that is uh, as a runner for all these marathons, uh, I used to, former Dave and I were the same age, I used to enjoy jogging, you know, slow jog, maybe a, a 5K, three miles, sometimes four, sure. never more than that. And a lot of times when I'm running through the forest or whatever, it's a beautiful time to absorb nature, to pray, to be in quiet thought. When you're running a marathon, which is such a long distance and for several hours, what is going through your mind at different times? Well, a number of runners find music uh, and headphones to be helpful. I, I prefer just to, to be alone. Uh, I, I often do run in cemeteries in, in the area, uh, and uh, not meaning to be disrespectful, but it's, it's a good time to meditate, to reflect, uh, and to just uh, take in uh, fresh air. And, uh, and be alone with the Lord, and uh, it's a great time to pray. Uh, usually in the Chicago Marathon, uh, as I'm running, uh, using a, a rosary ring I have, I, I usually pray three or sometimes four rosaries uh, for all the people that have asked for prayers, all those who are Beautiful. shut-ins, who've requested uh, uh, that I think of them. So it's a, it's a, it's a great time. Now, it's interesting that um, you reminded me of a story. When I was a seminarian, I was at St. Clement's, and John Fahey, do you remember John Fahey? Did you ever? Yeah, great priest. John Fahey was a runner, and he said, Mark, come on, come run with me. So I'm running in Lincoln Park, and there are people on the bus, and I'm sure they're looking, thinking, oh, here's that nice young man taking his grandpa out, and I could barely keep up with him. He was, he, I think runners have this psyche or mentality that um, it's a long process, take it a step at a time. You know, it's not a mar- it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. Uh, now, have, have, you, have you contacted or have young people kind of asked you about this in terms of, you know, we're at a different age than they are, but you're still keeping up with them? Yes. Uh, well, and we have in the parish some great runners, young people, uh, young men and young women, and uh, they are an inspiration. I, I see them in the neighborhood. Uh, they pass me by real quickly when <laughs> when running, but uh, some of them are competing in, in uh, high school and at university. Uh, they are real inspirations for me. 
Now, this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but St. Gertrude's is our parish, so we've been, you know, I had the privilege of being at Mass where Mike preaches. You're, you're kind of known as Father Greg is for an occasional joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, is there anything that comes to mind that our listeners could enjoy in terms of something maybe you've used in a homily or? Oh, gosh. I, 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 I'd have to think about that. Let me, uh, Let me ask you, do, do, any of your, uh, do any of your homilies reflect the marathon in terms of any, have any stories come out of the marathon? Good question. Well, yes. Uh, one of the things that uh, happens is that I, I do wear uh, on my jersey, uh, I have a shirt that says Father Mike. And mm-hmm. as you know, in, in the Chicago Marathon, there's... Uh, 1.7 million spectators, and so people mm-hmm. are on the uh, the streets cheering everyone on, whether they know them or not. So a lot of people see on my shirt, I say they see the name, and, and so they cheer me on. And uh, many times, other runners, uh, I'm usually behind everybody, but uh, they they kind of keep pace with me for a while. They want to talk about why I'm running, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, on. on several occasions that uh, I've been asked to hear a person's confession. Wow. Uh, so uh, when that happens, I say, okay, let's, uh, let's go over to the side and uh, let's have some uh, time uh, pri- for privacy. And uh, I've heard their confessions, but usually I, I say, would you mind if you make it short? Because uh, yeah. I don't want to lose uh, lose momentum. time and, yeah. in, in the marathon, but uh, uh, those have been wonderful experiences. Uh, people uh, being very surprised. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if they think priests don't have legs or something, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, uh, it's uh, it's it's usually a, a very positive experience. I presume you have no intention of stopping the marathon run in your own life. Yeah, I'd really love to keep going as Lord as long as the Lord lets me. So probably at your hundred and fifth birthday, when you when you pass away, there'll be a twenty six mile funeral entourage that will that will lead you out. I had a quick question. What about how do you imagine your fiftieth? You know, I, Mark, I I don't know. I if it were something like this neighborhood run, uh, I, I think I'd really enjoy that. Yeah. But uh, I, I do want to sign up for the Chicago Marathon next uh, next year. Um, so I, one of the things that that's very helpful for me is to to realize, uh, and Greg, I think you alluded to this, the the kinds of marathons that people have just in their daily experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of all the parents struggling right now to. Uh, educate their children and and hold down one, two, or three jobs. Uh, the people who are shut-ins, those who are no longer able to run or or even walk, all, all of those people uh, are doing a marathon, I think. Mm-hmm. And so when I uh, get a little tired or sore, uh, that's nothing compared to uh, what uh, what people are are trying to cope with. And congratulations to Father Mike on running his 49th marathon. That entire conversation was streamed with video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. And here's a reminder that you can listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. 
Our final segment also comes from Catholic Chicago. Hosts Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi spent some time with Father Lou Camelli. They talked about the concept of faithful citizenship and the role it plays in the voting process. Here's a highlight. Father Lou Camelli, based at Holy Name Cathedral, recently wrote some reflections on the concept of faithful citizenship and the role it plays in the voting process. He has a new video out about voting and what it means. So Father Lou Camelli, an outstanding, excellent priest, and lives down the hall from me at the cathedral. Father Lou Camelli, welcome to the program this morning. Yes, welcome. Thank you, Father Greg, and thank you, Mark. Yes, welcome. It's great to be with you again. Thank you. And I think, you know, Lou, the video, in fact, maybe you can tell our listeners if they would want to watch the, I think it was about a 12-minute video you did, which is right. terrific. How can they watch that? How do you, well, how do you, how do you get to it? Yeah, I, I think w- when they watch it, they should it, not, ex- first of all, what they should not expect is uh, the endorsement of, of a candidate, a party, or a platform, or saying this is the way you need to vote. Uh, what I'm trying to do is really a, it's an extension of what the bishops have done in their document on faithful citizenship, and that is to provide a context for people to form their conscience as they make a decision uh, and, and, and vote. So that's, that's really it. It's trying to bring together you know, the different factors that are in play. Um, and I think actually the first thing that may be very important is that we have an obligation to, uh, to vote. I don't know if people really realize this, but in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there are three moral obligations that citizens have, and that is uh, to pay taxes, uh, to defend their country, and to vote. So this is actually, unless you have to vote unless you're uh, legitimately impeded. So there's something pretty special about that. Uh, I don't know, there might be more I could say, but let me, let me leave it at that. It's, it's just a really important moment uh, for us, not only exercising our citizenship, but also our faith. And I think, Lou, it's so important to know that when people say, oh, I'm not going to vote, my vote doesn't make a difference. But it does. It oh, really does make a difference, Mark. You're chime and in. that no, and that it's a moral obligation that we have. What what do our what do our what is what do our popes say in terms of a direction for us? It's interesting because your viewing your video should be part of the process, probably for Catholics. Like you take that sheet in with the judges and stuff. Well, this should be part of our preparation. What what do our what do the Holy Fathers say about where we yeah, should be in this? Well, well, you know, I, first of all, of course, he's he's not going <laughs> to involve himself in the American elections. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pope for the, the universal Catholic Church and the whole world. So it, it, that, in a certain sense, while it, it may be on his radar as an event and he's praying for our nation, uh, there's, there's no, you know, special directions that he's offering. But when he does speak uh, about engagement, uh, civic engagement and the participation uh, that we're called to, especially in, in democracies. Uh, he's, he's saying that this is done through the lens of faith, our convictions about uh, justice, peace, and, of course, life, and uh, respect and dignity for uh, each individual. So there's a, a kind of... Uh, of take or a perspective that is really important. Let me say this, too, that 
one of the problems we we face, uh, you know, he just came out with an encyclical letter called Fratelli Tutti. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's it's rather lengthy, isn't it? Yeah, all, yeah, it's wonderful, though. It is lengthy, uh, but it's on social friendship and engagement. Uh, in other words, the call for us to, um, to really be connected to each other and have a vision, a larger vision of our connections. Now, this, I think, uh, it, it may be an indirect message to us, but it's a powerful one because we find ourselves in this country so polarized, mm-hmm. so unable to talk to each other. And yet, at the foundation, at the basis of a democracy, is the capacity of people to, to engage each other, to talk, to exchange in, in a way that uh, enriches. Uh, we enrich each other in a mutual way. So uh, this is really, apart from the values that we uh, have, and, and they, are, they are significant, um, as I mentioned, it's about life and dignity of individuals and and working for justice and peace, apart from those values that are so important and rooted in the gospel, there's also the process of being open to each other and uh, being able to, to talk, to be in dialogue. Let me ask you this, Lou, and that is, talk for a moment about, I mean, I've never seen an election in my lifetime that is so volatile and there's even anger right now among people, and you mentioned yeah. about being divisive in the division, but the need to maybe vote for the candidate and not issues. Well, let, let me, yeah. How do you sort that this apart. out? And you don't, it's not about yeah. just a particular issue, but you have candidates, and I always talk about candidates in terms of the competence, the character, collaboration, connection, yeah. integrity, their philosophy, um, their performance in terms of a candidate. I mean, it's very complicated, but this year in particular, um, especially we do take the time to vote, but just talk about candidates, yeah. talk about issues, and how do you sort all this out? Well, let me, yeah, let me, let me back up just a bit, because what you said initially is very important, that uh, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of um, edginess on the part of people in this whole process, and I think we need to understand that. Uh, we're in a context that, in, in some respects, is really and truly unprecedented. So there's the pandemic. There's um, an awakening to some of the social divisions, especially uh, racial injustice in, in our society. Um, there are There's economic hardship for a lot of people. I mean, they're, they're just teetering on, on the brink of poverty. Uh, and then, on top of all of that, we have uh, a series of natural disasters, you know, like the fires in the West and the hurricanes in the South. So one of the one of the um, it's not just about the election, but it's the context of the election that I think is important to identify and realize that all of this kind of comes together and sets people on edge. It makes them both uh, anxious and angry, fearful and aggressive, and, and then in their approach. So that, that's important, and I, I think I want to put that out there, and we need to realize that. So we're not necessarily, because of all this, we're not necessarily uh, cool and detached in our approach. That's where the, 
the 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 fire comes from and the uh, the the interaction. See, we don't we don't we don't vote in a vacuum. No, in part of a larger all, picture. Not at all. No. But then, in terms of the uh, voting, not for uh, how did you put it? Not voting vote for, for the, issues, but uh, vote for candidates, not issues. Well, yeah, I, I and I'm not quite sure if it's possible to to separate that out. But there there is a, a way in which, obviously, we need to uh, apprise and evaluate the the character of the candidates mm-hmm. we we want to choose, uh, but. Often that's that is linked to the way in which they deal with uh, with issues. So, you know, it's 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 a complex mix. But let me also add to that that um, and then this is part of the whole frenzy of the electoral season and campaigning. That it's it's as if wow everything is funneled into this election. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot at stake. There's no question about that. Um, but the election is, and I think we have to keep reminding ourselves of this, is one part, one piece of the whole process of civic engagement in democracy. I mean, once people are elected, we don't just, we shouldn't just say, okay, you're elected, you take, take the reins and just do what you're supposed to do or what you want to do or whatever. We, we gave you the vote. Now, no, not at all. We have to, once you vote, you have to keep your voice. And, and, and in fact, it's interesting, in one, uh, church documents, this is St. John Paul II, he said it's really obligatory for citizens in a democracy to keep their elected officials accountable. Keep them accountable. Good so, point. I like that. Yeah, it, so it's not just, I think we have funneled so much into the uh, election voting moment that we forget there's a, a much larger piece there. Voting, 2020, what's okay. a Catholic to do? A real scenario where sitting at dinner and two people, each of them have their own presidential candidate, and there's no budging on where they're, and, all, and I found myself totally withdrawing. Give me a little coaching, Lou, on how might I have handled that better than just simply withdrawing? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I noticed in the uh, in the newspaper the other day there was some advice uh, for people, like friends who have different political positions, and uh, and the, the advice was, don't talk about politics. Ah, you know, change the subject. Is, I mean, that's and in a certain sense, that's that's the strategy. Yeah, I mean, by withdrawing, that was your your response, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you want something more. I think we all do. You know, uh, just a little and, sidebar. I was at a dinner party about four years ago before the last election, and a fist fight broke out. Wow. Oh, wow. I mean, they're not only arguing, these two guys, but they started duking it out. I mean, they were going toe-to-toe, slugging it out, and I thought to myself, this is crazy. Was it a priest gathering? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> a bishop's <laughs> gathering, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just two guys going at me to break them up, and I thought to myself, That's scary. how sad. But again, getting back to uh, you know, Mark's you know, question in yeah. terms of when it comes to politics, it's, it's almost like I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind. Right. So how yeah. do you deal with that at a gathering? Especially when you're talking well, about Catholic. Sure. Catholic. Dogma or restrictions or guidance? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I I think there's basically one strategy, at least one that I think uh, can be helpful, and that is to ask questions. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and uh, to keep seeking clarification. Um, but you see, one of the uh, one of the issues, and it's found fu- fundamental, is that when you when you do ask questions and when you keep asking people to clarify what they mean, what they hope for, um, I, 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 at the, what that signifies underneath is that you believe that there's something you can actually learn mm-hmm. or that there might be some way in which you change. If, if you don't think you have anything to learn or that you're completely unwilling to change at all, well, then, and then it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, the whole nature of, of dialogue is, is based on the uh, assumption that no single person has it all together. Exactly. And 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 so, but but I do think that uh, asking questions and seeking clarifications that's important. Now, one other thing <clears throat> I think is to try to go deeper and identify uh, common values, because if you press people, uh, people of goodwill, and you you keep going deeper and deeper. Um, about what they value, you'll understand and, and realize that they basically value the same thing. Now, implementing that, getting to the realization of those values, that, that's another question, and that's where people can go off in, in different directions. But if you can come to terms with the common values that uh, people hold, I think that's just real helpful. And I think, you know, Mark, Lou, that is outstanding. You hit on keywords. Learn and change. Mm-hmm. But I've seen yeah. people get into a discussion, turns into a battle. They could care less about learning mm-hmm. or changing. It's, and, th- and this is a bad example. I'm a diehard Bears fan. You're not going to make me a Packers fan. You could talk till the cows come home. You know, I'm not, I don't like the Green Bay Packers. I never will. Yeah. You know, that grants of football may be a poor example. But the same thing here. But not one issue that you hear over and over again as part of an election is a whole issue of abortion. Yeah. And yeah. I think for I think say for Catholics, say something about that where many people will vote because it's one issue. This whole election is one issue. It's abortion. Nothing else matters. Now, I certainly am against abortion, you know, pro-life, 100%. But so when they on that topic, it's like there's no talking or there's no variance because it's one issue so say something about that, if you don't mind, Lou. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's really very troubling uh, because it's, it's not, not just abortion, but it's a kind of um, a direction that we've taken of abortion without any limitations. or And then also the, the prospect of publicly funded abortions. I mean, so it's, it's, it's complicated, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it really is. Uh, but sure, of course, I'm, I'm pro-life. I mean, this is, we've got to be that way. Now, let me let me just speak. This I hope I can get to make this clear because it, it's it's a little bit complicated, but it's but it's very important. And and, the, and when the bishops put out a new edition of their letter, actually, it's the same letter, faith, uh, faithful citizenship. But they they added a new uh, um, note at the beginning, and and here's what they said. I, I've got it right here. That the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself. 
It's our preeminent priority. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I, I think that, that, to be honest with you, I think that was an unfortunate choice of word. The word preeminent. That, Why? Preeminent, yeah. Early on, Cardinal Bernadine spoke of a consistent ethic of life in, in which he, uh, he linked uh, questions surrounding abortion and euthanasia and capital punishment and care for the poor and, and so forth. And people criticized him uh, severely, and they said, well, you know, you're just leveling all these life issues. Well, he, he listened, and he changed. And he said, no, I think what I mean to say is that uh, the question of the right to life and connected with abortion is foundational. It's foundational. If you're not born, <laughs> there aren't many other things you can do with your life. You, know, you see what I'm saying? Yes. So uh, it's foundational. When, on the other hand, and I, and I think it needs special attention because it is so critical, so basic, so foundational, but when you use the language of preeminence, that this is the preeminent issue, well, then what you have is different life issues in competition with each other, and that's not, not particularly good. It's not helpful. You have lives in competition with each other, and in a, a kind of strange way, that's, that's almost like the pro-choice, so-called pro-choice position, life of the, of the woman versus life of the unborn child. So I think we have to watch out for that preeminent issue. Um, Let me ask you, well, so when, you, when you talk preeminent, does that mean, of course, when we go back to Cardinal Bernardine, the seamless garment, all those issues. Yep. So if you say that abortion is the preeminent issue, therefore, does that mean you are downplaying, you're putting on a different level well, of yeah, euthanasia? I mean, I it, can, it can be understood that way. And like, for example, Bishop McElroy said abortion is a preeminent issue but not the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, let me. I, I've got here. A, mm-hmm. This is a very. This is in my video too. But it's Pope Francis. Here's what he says: Our defense of the innocent unborn needs to be clear, firm, and passionate. For at stake is the dignity of a human life, which is always sacred. Oh, equally the- sacred. Equally sacred. However are the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned and underprivileged, the vulnerable, infirm, and elderly exposed to covert euthanasia, the victims of human trafficking, new forms of slavery, and every form of rejection. Uh, I mean, I think that's really well mm-hmm. put. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's, he's looking at the foundation, absolutely, innocent, unborn life. But then he's also saying... <laughs> There's life already born that deserves and, and requires our attention, care, and respect. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend.
Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.